All right, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome to New Life Church, all of you watching online. Can we just welcome everyone who's watching right now? Welcome to New Life Church. <clears throat> I got a message from a young mom, our young single mom this morning. She said, Pastor Brady, I have COVID. I'm not feeling great, but I can't wait to watch church this morning. So she's watching both services. I know there are still people out there that are sick and struggling. So this has been a lifeline to them. And we are so grateful that you've welcomed us into your home. Uh, we are broadcast around the state prison system right now. I don't know if you know that. Lots of men and women who are behind bars right now. Just, just I get letters every single week. We want you to know we know who you are. We love you. We are so grateful that good news is reaching you right where you are. We're grateful for that. So welcome. We're glad to have you today. It is good. I, I just, uh, you know, this week I was praying for New Life Church and the Lord gave me this picture and I, I heard it this morning for the first time during our worship service. This is the word the Lord gave me. He said, there's going to come a time where the, the anger, the vitriol of the world is going to get louder and louder, but the praises of the church are going to get louder and louder. It's not that we're competing, we're just trying to give an alternative. I just heard you this morning singing with loud, with passion, with fervor, and I just believe that is a, a, a type and shadow of the church that we're becoming, where we are not afraid to sing about the resurrected Christ at the top of our lungs. And a, the right now, the world does not need an angry church. The world needs a praying church. And I, a couple of years ago, some of you know Pete Gregg, who 20 years ago started a global prayer movement called 24-7 Prayer. And he started it in the UK where he lives. A couple of years ago, I was with him and he said to me, Pastor Brady, I believe that the Lord is going to start a North American prayer movement that we're going to partner with out of New Life Church in the World Prayer Center. And that was two years ago. And nothing's really happened in the last couple of years for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, just a lot of chaos and corruption. You know, that was a joke, by the way. Yeah, I didn't catch that. So, but uh, about six months ago, uh, I said to him, I said, uh, Pete, I believe when the Lord sends me the leader to, to carry that mantle with me, that'll be a sign that the Lord's about to do this new thing at New Life Church. And then just a few months ago, uh, Andy Rozier, one of the founders of Vertical Worship, who has been leading worship music globally for 20 plus years. A vertical worship is sung around the world. He came to me and we began to pray together and he said to me, I believe I'm called to New Life Church to help you carry that mantle of prayer at New Life Church. And I wanted to say to you on January the 10th, that's the first, I think the second Monday of 2022, we're going to have prayer meetings on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 7.30 in the morning and at noon. Now I'm telling you that not to invite you. I'm telling you that because I want you to own this with me. I want these prayer meetings to belong to you and to us. And I'm asking you now, I know that, that those, those times may not be super convenient for some of you, and I completely understand that if your schedule won't allow you for a morning prayer meeting or a noontime prayer meeting, but you would be shocked if you make this a priority how your schedule might clear up. Now for others, we're gonna have uh, evening prayer meetings, we're gonna continue our first Wednesday prayer meetings, but I'm asking you to pick one of those eight prayer meetings, just pick one of them. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, there's eight prayer meetings. I want you to pick one of them and say every week to the best of my ability, I I'm gonna own that, I'm coming. I'm going to belong to that group of people who pray at that time. 
So if you will own it with me, here's what I believe is about to happen. The prayer is about to do something in our city. Now listen, for 36 years, New Life Church knows how to do two things. We know how to worship and we know how to pray. So I'm not talking to a bunch of newbies here. I'm not talking to people who don't know how to pray. I'm just inviting you back into a lifestyle of prayer that we've been accustomed to here for 36 years. And some of you longtime New Lifers know that this is not anything new to our church. I'm calling you back to it. And I believe we've gone through a season of distraction, a season of disruption, but the Lord's congregating us back into these prayer meetings. And this, in these meetings, God is gonna do something in our city and our nation and our world, and it's going to happen at New Life Church at the World Prayer Center. And so we will be the hub of the North American prayer movement far 24 seven. And Andy Rozier will be the face and the voice will help me carry that mantle. And I'm asking you at New Life Church to come and join me as we pray uh, for the salvation of our city, the salvation of our nation and for the hope of our world. And I wanna encourage you with something, okay? I don't, I don't always tell you numbers cause I don't wanna say numbers for the sake of impressing you, but I, want, I think this number is incredible. In the last 12 months, we have baptized 551 people. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. Now, why am I saying that? Because salvation is happening by the hundreds, but I think it's supposed to happen by the thousands. And we're seeing a foretaste of what will happen if we will keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, if we will keep our focus on the presence of God and the people of God, God's about to do something miraculous among us and I wanna be a part of it, amen? All right, so I'm giving you 60 days notice to clear your schedule and to make these prayer meetings a priority, okay? Are you in Ruth chapter two? So if you don't know how to find Ruth, go to the red letters, take a left, and you may bump into first and second Samuel, keep going. So it's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, a little small book, four chapters. And it just seems out of place, quite honestly. If you read, uh, you know, if you read Joshua and then you read Judges, and then you stumble upon Ruth, it just seems out of place because there's probably not two more violent books in the Hebrew Testament than Joshua and Judges. And, we, and Ruth was written for a time that was very dark in the history of Israel. If you think America's going through a season of, of disruption and darkness and chaos, you should have been in Israel during this time because it was violent. It was dark. It was, it was actually, violence within the country and violence from outside the country. In fact, as many people died from the hands of the, uh, the, the local governments as they did from outside enemies. So there was corruption everywhere. It, it was darkness everywhere. And yet we find in the middle of this darkness, this little four chapter book called Ruth. And I wanna remind you, New Life Church, that some of you may be going through a season that you would call the darkest of your life. Maybe you've gone through the most troubling season of your life. Maybe you are more concerned about our country or about whatever social ill more than you've ever been in your life. But even in the, in the season of despair and darkness, even when you think God has left us, God is still at work. And one of the great stories, one of the great things of this, of this book is that God is always subtly, in some ways hidden, working himself out in our lives. Listen, the plan of salvation is being worked out in your life right now. Whether you believe it, whether you see it or not, God knows you, God sees you, and God's hand is upon your life. And I'm talking to you. 
I'm talking to, to the person who thinks I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to you. You just had that thought in your mind, yeah, it's for everyone else but me. No, I'm talking to you. For you watching online, you're by yourself in your home or your apartment right now, I'm talking to you. The Lord's hand is on you, he sees you. He made you in the womb of your mother. He knows who you are and he's not given up on you. The great story of the Bible is the extravagant links that God will go to to get humans' attention, the, hum the attention of humanity. God's going to get your attention. God's going to capture your imagination at some point in your life, and you're going to say yes to following him. That's my prayer for all of you. Now in Ruth chapter two, let me just set up the story. If you weren't here last Sunday, there are three main characters in the book of Ruth. There is a, a woman named Naomi, who's an older woman at this point in her life. Her husband has died. Her two grown sons have died. And, and when the story picks up in Ruth chapter one, she's living in the nation of Moab. It's a, a nation that's not friendly to Israel. Uh, they are not in good relationships. And for all places for a Jewish woman to be found, the country of Moab was not a good place to be caught for especially a widowed Jewish woman. So she knows this. So she makes the decision to go back to her hometown in Israel, to go back to family and friends where she might have a chance at surviving. And to her surprise, a young, her young daughter-in-law named Ruth, who had also lost her husband, who's a Moabite, she's a pagan. She doesn't worship the God of Israel. She decides to come with Ruth. And we read that last week in Ruth chapter one, she says to her mother-in-law, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. So she makes this holy vow, this holy covenant to be with Naomi all the days of her life. So the two of them, now think about when the Bible talks about vulnerable people, it talks about widows, foreigners, poor people, and women. They check all four boxes. They are widows, they're foreigners at this point, they're, they are poor, and they're women, which makes them extremely vulnerable. And so when we pick up the chapter here, Ruth has gotten up one morning and gone out to a big field. Think about a big open field that's full of grain and, and oils and everything that's being harvested. And she is there early in the morning trying to get the leftovers from the harvest that's happening in this man's field. She finds herself in the fields of Boaz. Now Boaz is this wealthy landowner, fairly wealthy at least. He's the guy that's gonna be the hero of the story in the next two Sundays, all right? So think about Ruth, young widow in a field, trying to gather enough grain and food to feed her for that day. And she stumbles upon the man who owns the property. His name is Boaz. So Boaz said to Ruth, verse eight, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field. And I want you to underword the word glean, underline that word glean. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. And, and he says, uh, watch the field where the men are harvesting. Watch the field where the men and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And I have, and whenever you are thirsty, now listen very carefully what he's about to say. Go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. There is, there is nothing more radical in this story than what I just read. The fact that she was given permission as a Moabite pagan woman 
to go and drink from the jars that the men had filled for themselves was Boaz turning societal norms upside down here. That was unheard of. For a, a pagan slave girl to get, get to go drink out of our, our jars, and Boaz shows her tremendous favor, amazing favor here. And, and he says, watch where they are and go drink from the water jars the men have filled. Now this word glean is a, a long time Jewish custom that when harvest time came in the nation of Israel, think about you know, a hundred acre piece of property, a big field. When it came time to harvest, the corners of every field were not to be harvested. And there was a reason for that. They were allowed the corners of those fields to remain untouched so that foreigners and the poor who did not have rights to own land so that they could eat and benefit from the abundance of the people in Israel. They had, they, and they had to leave not just the scraps. It wasn't just the leftovers. It wasn't just stuff that they didn't want. They actually had to leave cash crops. Crops that were valuable, grain, grapes, and olive oil were the three main cash crops. These were the crops that everyone wanted. This is how people stayed alive in the nation of Israel, by eating grain and grapes and olive oil. They made wine with the grapes. They made olive oil was a part of almost every dish and grain was the, the basic sustenance of their life. So it wasn't that they left the leftovers and the scraps, they actually had to leave cash crops. Now, where does this come from? Okay, this was, this was given to the nation of Israel for a reason, and we find this in the book of Leviticus. And I'm gonna unpack this just for a moment because this is very important for us today, New Life Church, stay with me, okay? This was found in the law that had been passed down to Boaz, and Boaz knew exactly what Leviticus chapter 19 would have said. Look at verse nine. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. In other words, when you're going through the harvest field and you're picking up all the grains, there's gonna be stuff that falls down to the ground, leave it. He says, when it falls out of your hands, if you're not able to give it into the basket, just leave it on the ground. Let someone else have, let someone else benefit from your abundance. Let someone else be the recipient of the grace and the blessing that God's poured out on your life. Does that sound like a principle that would apply to us today in 2021? Would it make sense for us as the people of God to pay attention to these particular parts of the law? Maybe that God has not changed so much as we think. <clears throat> Maybe God has blessed you and your home and your business in an abundant way this year. In fact, some of you are about to get the biggest end of year bonus you've ever gotten in your life. So the question I have for you and for me, what are you gonna do with it? What are you going to do with the blessings that God has poured into your lap? What will you do with the excess? And that may not be true for all of you. It may not be true. Some of you may be going through a tough season. Maybe your finances are at an all time low. And the good news is for those of us who are feeling the abundance of God, we have a responsibility to those who are not feeling the abundance of God. And he says, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Now this is, this is like currency, okay? 
It's one thing to find a penny on the ground. It's another thing to find a $100 bill on the ground. This is the difference between finding grapes and finding leftovers. A grape, finding grapes and olive oil and grain on the ground was like finding a stack of $100 bills in your neighborhood. This stuff was valuable to people. This meant the difference between poverty and wealth many times. They don't pick them up. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. In other words, when he said things like that, that this is who God is. This is my nature that does not change. This is one of the immutable traits of God, a trait that won't change. I am God. This is who I am and this is who I want you to be. I want you to make sure that when I bless you with abundance, that you are not taking it all for yourselves. In other words, we should always leave portions of our time and our money to give away. Let me stop for a moment. There are two times in our lives where it's difficult to give. There are two times. You need to write this down because it's going to be really helpful for you. There are two times in all of our lives where it's very difficult to be generous. When we have a lot and when we have nothing. And I want you to think about you're the farmer in this story. You are about to harvest the biggest crop you have ever harvested. I mean, you've gotten rain at the right time. It didn't get too hot. <clears throat> All the conditions that were necessary for your crops to prosper and flourish, it was the perfect storm this particular year, and you are about to harvest a bumper crop of grain, olive oil, and grapes. Let me just ask you a question. When it's the best you've ever had, is that the time to take all of that for yourself? No. The Jesus says, the Bible says, the scriptures teach us that in the times of abundance, make sure that there is something left over for people that are poor and for people that don't belong here, that don't worship your gods, that don't speak your language. Let me just tell you a story because this happened a couple of weeks ago in downtown Colorado Springs. A, a, a man who attends our church was, was working out, going for a walk in downtown Colorado Springs and a young Middle Eastern Afghani teenager, 19, 18, 19 years old, came up to him and with a phone, he had translated from his language to English and he held the phone up to my friend and says, I am lost, can you help me find my home? This is a family of six that had been uh, taken out of Afghanistan when all the violence broke out. They've been relocated to Colorado Springs. They have been stuck in a rental home. They've been given three months to get on their feet. They do not speak the language. They do not know our customs. They don't worship our God. And yet he's downtown Colorado Springs. My friend stumbles upon this teenage boy who's lost and does not know how to find his house. So my friend types in the address, shows it to him. The young guy says, I don't know. So what, what my friend actually had to walk him over to their house. Well, when he got to the house, he met the mom and the dad and the four children. That night, he invited the entire Afghani family over to his house here in Colorado Springs and through trans, a Google Translate for several hours, they had a conversation back and forth and got to know each other. This is a family that doesn't worship Jesus. They don't speak our language. They're foreigners, they're poor, and they're in our city. So how are we going to respond? You invite them to your table. 
That's how we respond as the people of God. You make sure that there is enough in your life that we can share with people who are not from here. Listen, some of you know this, I know this. How many of you moved, have ever moved to a city where you knew no one, knew no, when you got there, you knew no one? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Listen, I've done that. <clears throat> I did that when I came here. You know what happened to me? If you're, this is your first Sunday, <clears throat> we're welcome. We're so glad you're here on the first Sunday at New Life Church. You know what I had to do on my very first Sunday here? I had to preach. I got on the stage and think about that. I'm not making any of you do that today. On my very first Sunday, my first time in the building, really, my first time in a worship service with any of you, I had to preach twice. I know what it feels like to stand in front of a group of people and not know any of you, not know your story. I was a complete stranger. I'm from Louisiana. You're from Colorado. There could not be, there's a lot of differences there if you haven't done any research. There's a lot of cultural differences. It's different. So I know what it feels like to come into a place where you don't know anyone and you're hoping that they'll accept you. You're hoping they'll be generous to you. You're hoping there's something left over from their lives to give away to you. See, conditions, listen, New Life Church, conditions are never perfect for us to be generous. And I know this is the temptation we have right now. All the retirement ads tell us this. Make sure you have all of your money in a big pile. Make sure you have plenty for yourselves. And when that happens, and only when that happens, when you and yours are taken care of, if there's anything left over, that's what you can give away. I don't know if you know this or not. You know, who, what, you know which group of people in America actually give away the largest percentage of their money? Poor people. Poor people give away a larger percentage of their income than wealthy people. And the reason is because poor people have not forgotten what it's like to need help. Poor people understand the solidarity that they have with one another to help one another. And I'm speaking to all of you wealthy people in the room. Look at the percentage of dollars that you're giving away now as compared to when you were in your 20s. And, and start giving away a larger percentage. Your gift may be larger, but the percentage gets smaller. And I believe when seasons of great abundance, when things are going really well for you and your company, that's the time to set aside even a greater amount to make sure that people are taken care of. You say, well, Pastor Brady, I don't know where all the poor people are. I do, we do, we know where they are. Do you know the only reason we have not bought more apartments to take care of more homeless single moms? Cause I'm waiting on the money. I have a strategy, I have the apartment. I have one right now, I could buy right now and put another 20 families off the streets. Right now I could do it tomorrow. I could buy, buy tomorrow. We have a strategy, we have the team, and we have the apartments that are for sale. You know, the only, only thing I'm waiting on is the money. That's all I need. And I know you said, Pastor Brady, I don't know these women. We do. We're with them every day. Michael Anthony's sitting right here. He's with these women every single day. He works for our dream centers. I know where the poor people are in the city. I, we know where the needs are. We know where the broken people are. And that's the responsibility of the church, that when resources come into the church, because we have our hands and our, our eyes and our hearts into the fabric of our city, I know where the money needs to be distributed. I know where it needs to go. I know how we can help. This is the principle that's being talked about here in the book of Ruth. 
Skip down to verse 10, because something else remarkable happens here in the story. In verse 10, it says, at this, she bowed down with her face, and she said, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. And may the Lord, I want you to see this, your reward, my reward is from the Lord. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. May the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, what's built inside of all of us, New Life Church, I want to tell you something. That the reason that we're supposed to be generous, the reason that we give is because what's, we have this lie that we are built into every human soul. And we're all afraid of being overlooked. We're all afraid of being dismissed. We're all afraid that we're not important, that we're not doing anything important. But I have good news for you. The eyes of the Lord are always searching the earth for faithful people. This past week, I went down to Louisiana to see my mom. She lives in East Texas, actually right on the border of Louisiana, but I grew up across the river in Louisiana, just a few miles away. And when, when I took my mom out to lunch for her 75th birthday, after lunch, she wanted to go drive. And so we went for a drive out in the country and we ended up on the Marshall Highway going out of Logansport, Louisiana. And at about mile number six to the right is the house that I grew up in. Now it's not there anymore. My mom and dad built a 1600 square foot house with their own hands, three bedrooms, one bath, tiny kitchen, tiny living room. I can see it right now, I grew up in it. And that's the property I grew up. Listen, it could not be in a more remote area of Louisiana. It is, it is if, I, if I dropped a pen and sent it to you on your phone, the end of the earth is two miles away. It, the GPS stops working two miles from there. And people have disappeared and never been seen again. And as I'm driving through there, I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking about the church, I'm thinking about the responsibility that we all have. And I thought to myself, if the Lord can find me in the middle of nowhere, as a little boy with no pedigree, with no rich family and friends to help me. Listen, God can find you. God can use you. God can rescue you. God will look, all he's looking for is our hearts that are obedient, hearts that are willing to say yes. And if you will say yes, he will launch you into the greatest thing you've ever done in your life. And I was so grateful driving through, said, Father, I said, Father in heaven, how in the world did you find me here? And I ended up in Colorado Springs. That is, it's a miracle story. Your story is a miracle story. And God's always looking for faithful people. Let me just show you this quick story of Jesus. Luke 21 is one of my favorite stories. Jesus is in the temple and people are passing by, giving money into the offering plate. And he says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, but he also saw a poor widow who put in two very small copper coins. And he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their abundance. In other words, they piled up all their money, whatever was left over, they gave it away, but not until they were taken care of. But that wasn't true about the widow. It says out of her poverty, out of her faith, because she knew she could trust God, 
She put in all she had to live on. New Life Church, the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is a story of God paying attention to faithful people. And there are some of you that have been very faithful. You have been generous, you've been kind, you've been faithful, you've been steadfast, but there's this gnawing feeling inside of you that maybe no one's noticing. And it's true that the people around you may not notice, but Jesus always notices great faith. Jesus is paying attention. And by the way, that is enough. When Jesus knows, I'm okay. As long as Jesus sees me, I'm okay. Now keep going to the story, verse 19. Skip down, verse 19 of Ruth 2. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, came to Ruth and said, where'd you, get, where'd you get all this food? Where'd you glean today? Where did you work? And blessed be the man who took notice of you, because she noticed that Ruth had a lot. Ruth brought home more than enough for that day, which is unusual. Usually the poor and the foreigners barely had enough to eat that day. But for some reason, Ruth came back with a lot. And blessed is the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. And the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And I love what Naomi says, the Lord bless him. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. Now listen to this very carefully. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Some of your Bible may say kinsman redeemer, guardian redeemer. And that's a legal term for a person who has an obligation to help a relative in serious difficulty. Listen, New Life Church, all of us in this room have a responsibility, not just to each other, not just to the church, not just to our city, but actually the Bible says our primary responsibility is actually to our family. It's actually to the people closest to us. And actually this is why God designed the families. This is why God set up the family as the central unit in the Bible. Before there was a church in the Bible, there was a family. Before there was a a church, there was a family that made up a community and out of the community, a church was formed. But let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning was a family. And that's why the enemy hates the idea of family. Because if the enemy can tear apart families, he he can then put people in places of crisis and places of duress and places of pain that they have no way to get out of. God actually designed families to take care of one another. And let me show this to you in 1 Timothy if you're looking for a New Testament reference to this. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, when people look at the church, What they should see when they look at the church is a group of families being extravagantly generous to one another. And that sets the bar really high for the rest of the world. We are the trendsetters in this area. This is what separates us from every other belief system is our absolute commitment to being generous to one another. When we opened Mary's home, I don't know, five years ago, we interviewed the moms who were coming off the streets, moms and their kids. 
What we discovered was one common denominator for all of these women. They were, they were homeless, many of them were addicted, but they were all vulnerable, all alone, all in danger, living on the streets of our city with their children. And that's still happening tonight. There will be hundreds of moms that go to sleep tonight with their children in their car. And one common denominator came out of our interviews with them. And you need to know this. But one of the tragedies for people caught in the cycle of poverty is that they simply don't have anyone they can ask for help. What we found is that they did not have families. They didn't have a dad to call. Can you imagine if my 23-year-old son or my 21-year-old daughter called me? Dad, I've lost my job. I've lost my home. I don't have anywhere to go. Can you help me? Can you, do you know what extravagant measures Pam and I would go to to make sure our kids were not homeless? My, my kids will, by God's grace, my kids won't ever spend the night on the streets. They're not, by God's blessing and God's grace, my kids are not gonna spend a night in their car with their kids if I can help it. Why? Because they have a family. New Life Church, this is what we're called to do, to make sure that God can set the lonely into our family. Now, I've read that scripture to you how many times now? This is the third straight Sunday I've mentioned Psalm 68. God sets the lonely into families. Why? Because that's where they're best protected. That's where they can get the help that they need. That's where they can get the resources that they need. That's why we open Mary's home. That's why they have a place now. These moms, when they, you know what they tell us? On their first night at Mary's home, we hear this all the time. This is the first time my kids and I have felt safe. Listen, that's the calling of our church. If you wanna be a part of something that's gonna change our city, let me invite you into what God's doing at New Life Church right now, because we're about to radically change our city. We're about to radically transform our city. And all it requires is for each of us to make sure that we're not using all of our resources on ourselves, that we're leaving the corners of our property unharvested. Now, if you look around our property right now, we have 35 acres here. Dutch Brothers Coffee is on that corner. On this corner, we're about to build another retail center. It's completely leased up. It leased up just like that. I have four leases in it already. On this corner over here on the northwest side, that 3.2 acres that we never use, we're about to develop all of that, and those are corners of our property. This is the passage of scripture that the Lord gave me when I was driving around our property one day. The Lord said, Brady, I've given you the most expensive piece of property in the city of Colorado Springs. You can use it for yourself, or you can use it for the city, but I've given it to you. And I made up my mind and went to the elders and I said, we're going to take the corners of our property and we're going to give it and we're going to sell it. We're going to use that money to get, first of all, to get us out of debt so that we can do more in our city. And we're going to use it to bless the people in our city. So when you see the corners of our property being taken up, I want you to remember the story of Ruth. I want you to remember Leviticus 19 because that's why we're doing it to make sure that there's plenty of resources in the house of the Lord to do the mission of God. Stand with me this morning. Would you stand up? I want to, I want to pray together, and I want, to, I want you to hear something this morning. You actually have a kinsman redeemer, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. 
Jesus is the one who's already made up his mind to adopt and rescue us. And I want you to think about your own salvation story. In fact, you don't have a salvation story unless it sounds something like this. I could not help myself. I tried and no one else could save me. And at my moment, we just sang the song, in our moment of darkness, we cried out to heaven and help came. Grace came. Redemption came. Forgiveness came. And the reason is because Jesus, it may be the only person in your life that's never left you. He's never abandoned you. He's never walked away from you. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Jesus is the one who has stood there and called your name and pursued you, followed after you, and is calling you even now to come follow him. This morning, before we come to the table of the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes. There's some of you that walked in this morning and you feel very forgotten. You don't feel like anyone sees you or knows you. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I, I can't fix myself. Pastor Brady, I've tried to fix myself. I can't. And I want to offer you an opportunity to say yes to this person of Jesus. Now I'm going to pray a prayer and it's going to sound super simple. It's not complex. It's not difficult. But if you choose to pray this today, something radical, something miraculous could happen in your life. And I want to pray for you right now. And if you want to join me, pray this prayer over your life. Pray this for yourself. The Father in heaven, I have tried to save myself. I've tried to fix myself. And I cannot do it. I need help. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need someone who cares enough about me to help me. So today I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to following Jesus. I say yes to walking beside Jesus, with Jesus. And I pray you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the strength that I need. Overshadow me with your goodness and grace. And I give my life completely to Jesus today. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I, I'm just so grateful. Every time, listen, I know you say, Pastor Brady, that sounds so simple. Hundreds of people are saying yes to Jesus right now at New Life Church. And it's because we've made it so simple. Listen, let's not make it more complicated than it needs to be. All we have to do is say, listen, put your hope, your trust, your faith, your confidence in Jesus. That's all that's required. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen? And the Holy Spirit is doing that work. I want us right now just to turn our hands toward heaven. Can you just say thank you for the, what he's given you this year? Maybe it's not been financial things that come this year, but we've all been blessed in this room. And can we just take a moment as we head into Thanksgiving season? Can we just be thankful this morning? Father in heaven, we are thankful. Father, I thank you for a generous church. Thank you that these are the most generous people I've ever been around. Thank you for their desire to serve our city. Thank you for their generous heart, their willingness to give, to serve, to pray, to bless. What an amazing group of people. What a godly group of people. And I'm so grateful to be numbered among them. So Father, we thank you today for all that you've given us, for all that you've poured out. Let us now be good stewards. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Can we just turn our hearts to worship? We sing this one song and then we're going to come to the table of the Lord this morning.
his hands and thorns on his brow. Rivers of mercy earnestly flowing down. The Son of God, high and lifted up. The Your home, the broken and hurt. 
Go ahead and grab your communion elements as we get ready to receive from the Lord this morning. You know, before we can really think about caring for the foreigner or the impoverished or the vulnerable, we have to remember something and we remember it at the table. And it's this, that we were all, every single one of us, we were once the foreigner. We didn't have a spiritual family. We didn't have a heavenly father. We didn't know yet. We were once the poor. We were bankrupt spiritually. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, enemies of God in our hearts, that Christ died for us. It's at the table that we remember that, that God stepped in, saw us, rescued us. And as we hold elements in our hands today, we're holding this reminder that God gave us himself. He laid down his life so that we could know life so that we could be rescued from death. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his friends around the table. And he said, whenever you take this, do this in me. This is my body broken for you. Let's take the bread together. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant and it's the covenant that I'm making in my blood. It's this assurance that we are gonna be washed white as snow, that he's forgiven us completely forever, once for all. Let's take the cup together. Church, let's respond to the Lord and sing to him. been so incredible to be together 
as the family of God this morning, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. Maybe you prayed that prayer with Brady for the first time. Don't leave without letting someone know. Don't leave without coming forward and praying with us together. Or if you have any prayer need for that matter, we'd love the chance to pray with you. Also, we're having a special veterans reception in the World Prayer Center. And we're so grateful. I know we honored all you men and women who've served last Sunday, but we have a, a reception for you today, for you and your family. It's gonna be a meal. He had right out this, this main entrance here to the left into the World Prayer Center. We have our pastors and the team waiting for you over there. And lastly, if you're new or newish to New Life, we have Connect Central out these doors to the left. We'd love the chance to get to know you, help you take your next step getting involved in our church. We open your hands, we wanna bless you as you head out. New Life Church, may you know that God sees you. May you know that his goodness will follow you all the days of your life. And may you be sent to care for the hurting and vulnerable people in your workplace, your schools, your neighborhoods. May you be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, see you next week.